Busy Birds. Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Ganal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. Did you know that more and more people are switching to tiny home living, which allows a lot of people to live mortgage-free, and it's now even available on Airbnb? Our guest today is the design director and co-founder of Zero Squared, He is also an industrial designer. Crazy birds. Without any further ado, I would like to welcome Scott Wilson. Welcome to the podcast, Scott. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome. So, Scott, how did your sustainable journey actually start? Well, I'm a product designer, so consumer product designer. So my awareness of people's buying behavior and the amount of waste that we generate uh, is really apparent. So, so that I really started to focus on what I could do as a product designer because we have a lot of control over the products we create and the clients we work with and, and how disposable things are. Um, we have a very fast culture now in terms of buying clothes and products and, and they don't have a longevity that they used to have. So that's really where I wanted to, to focus my attention and power as a designer and make change that way. And then how did Zero Squared actually start and what is it? So Zero Squared specializes in uh, small space living. So our slogan is is to downsize without downgrading. So we're making sure that folks that want to reduce the complexities of their life through clutter and, and have more time for themselves can still have a lifestyle that they're used to in a larger dwelling, in a well-designed home, something that's healthy is going to be safe for you. So really focusing on just smaller footprint, but having the same the same feeling you would get in a, in a larger home, in a well-designed home. Yeah, because if you look at the like tiny house movement, it's really something that is becoming super popular. It seems like everyone wants to live in one of these tiny houses. And there's a lot of benefits, I feel, from living in this tiny home What would you say is some of the benefits that you personally have experienced or that you feel your clients have experienced by downsizing in living in one of these tiny homes? Well, I think it's just the the movements around simplifying your life and and, and less space is less clutter. Traditionally, with a larger home, we have to fill it full of things. And the more things you have, the more burdens you have, you know, the larger home you have, the more you have to work to maintain it and the higher the mortgage is. And so you spend less time with family and outside and doing things because you're you're essentially maintaining the space that you live in, the dwelling. So moving to a to a smaller space it really just simplifies those elements of your life. And then the mobility of the home, especially the tiny house on wheels, is allows you to have a transient lifestyle. So you can go from being a contractor in Colorado and then pick up your home and move to Florida if you need to. So you don't have to go through that process of selling the home and you keep it with you as you travel through your life. So 
that's the importance of of that movement and what I think is missing in some of the the understanding from the municipalities is that folks really want to have this movement of their home and it's not like they're trying to skirt codes or regulations or safety or anything like that. It's just that that this is a new genre of work. You know, there's so many digital nomads out there and, and finding success online and and doing things that are different, deriving different income from different ways of, of living. So just about reduction of the burden of a dwelling is is really the primary thing that we see of the benefit. Definitely. And I think once you have more time to actually do stuff, because now you've freed up all your time because you don't have a massive house to keep clean and, you know, buy stuff. And so I think it definitely simplifies your life. But I also think it's very important for our crazy birds to also understand that the type of tiny houses that you guys do they shouldn't really confuse it with like the average RV, you know, like those typical like RVs that you would find that people would kind of go camping with or, you know, travel all around. You know, it's not that standard, like very budget. It's only made when you're on the move, when you're traveling. Like these tiny houses are beautiful homes and their finishings is spectacular. I mean, if you just go onto your website, you can have a look at all of the variety of tiny homes that you guys have done. And I have to say that I'm super impressed and I'm like super pumped to actually live in one of these tiny houses. But how does all of these things actually work in a tiny house? So you've got like in the one, you've got like a dishwasher, you've got gas ovens, there's water tanks, like you've got a toilet, like how does everything work? For someone that has no experiences in tiny homes, how would you kind of explain how am I going to like do this easily? Well, the, I mean, the way that we we look at a, the tiny home is that while it's on a mobile structure, so a chassis, everything that is above that platform, so you can imagine that being a, a foundation in a home, is exactly like a house. So our tiny homes are built to exceed residential standards, and that's an international standard. So our valleys and our walls, our windows, everything, our fit and finish inside the home is a house. It's so that it's just on a smaller scale, and for the most part, our homes are built onto a chassis that allows it to be moved. So in terms of the association with a recreational vehicle, it's just the fact that it the only connection is the wheels, and that's its connection. To, to that um, model where you can move it around. So everything else we build into the into the home is, is residential standard. So when we talk about the systems in place, we go from someone that's not going to move their home very often and they're going to be connected to the city water and a sewer system. It's exactly the same as a house. You would just have the same outlet in that on the site that you're putting this house onto. So you would get the city water connection you would get a power outlet that would be in a panel that would connect into. So all our systems connect into the home through a plug and play system. So you basically hook up a hose, connect in a power connector that we have, and then we have an outlet, which is just like a home, that you just don't see it in a traditional home because it's down in the ground. Ours is connected out underneath the structure of the home. And then we also take it to the next level, which is is more what we call off-grid living or self-contained living. So Folks that are actually going to be a bit more transient and they're going to stay in kind of resorts or parks or on people's land in that boondocking style that we see, especially in the United States. We have 
a holding tank. So we have a large freshwater tank. We have a grey water, which is your shower and, and dishwasher and, and sink. And then we have the black water, which is the, the toilet side of things. And so each of those ha- have a storage capacity that when you move, you would go through through an RV park or, or a dump station at a gas station along the way. So we can configure the the living uh, situation to anyone's needs that they want. So if they don't need the complexity of moving around, then we wouldn't have those holding tanks in there. So gas is, is through propane, so that's on board with the home. Uh, so it's a really efficient material, like is a burning, uh, so it's better than natural gas. All of our appliances in the home are all really calculated for low consumption. So even if you are grid-tied on a site somewhere, I mean, our refrigerator is only it kind of draws like in our terms in in these homes like four and a half amps so it's very low low wattage so that we when we go and put solar panels on the home we can get to an off-grid solution quite easily compared to a large a large home oh that sounds fantastic and for me one of the things that i was kind of wondering especially when you look at it kind of like off-grid if I were to stay maybe, I don't know, alone, like how easy is it for me to go and empty the black water tank? Like, do I just like hook it up? Is it like a one man job? Do I need like a, a team or how easy is this to do? It's very easy. Like on the whole, if it's a holding tank and you're dumping those, those, those tanks or filling up, it, we have little valves that sit underneath the house um, and then you would hook up just a uh, disconnecting hose is very much like an RV system. So we get a three-inch hose that would that bayonets onto the end of this to our outlet on the home, and you connect that into the drain that you're going to be disposing of the waste, and then you just pull two little valves, and they and the systems run out and self-drain. So everything is really a one one-person job. And and no, my wife and I actually travelled around for eighteen months through the United States and Canada as we were starting to develop the product and understand how we live in it. So we, we became firsthand very intimate with our consumption. <laughs> and that's one of the other good things when we're talking about the sustainability side is that when you live in one of these houses, and especially on the on the holding tank side, you know exactly how much water is going into your house and you know exactly how much is coming out. And you know how much propane you're using because you know how often you're filling those tanks up. So you become really engaged with your consumption. And so you you know, you know how much water you've got in a freshwater tank. So you you start to look at your shower length and how much hot water you're using. And so it just, it's really, it's not only about reduction of your own materials and, and stuff that you need in your house. It's just about the overall consumption of electricity because as you know, it's a finite element when it's, when you've got these holding tanks. So less so when you're connected to the grid, because at that point you kind of start to forget a little bit more about how much you're using. So it's really when you're in that off-grid or self-contained type environment that you you really understand the consequences of, of your daily activities. Definitely. I think once you know that, you know, there's a capacity on this tank, once it's empty, we need to fill it up again. But yep. when you are connected to the grid, and that's something that I find here as well, we don't always consider like having, you know, some people keep the tap open while they're brushing their teeth or, you know, while they are applying soap on their hands. So it's kind of pointless water wastage. But when every single drop actually counts and you're camping somewhere in the middle of the, the 
I don't know, forest or anywhere where there's not really access to a lot of water, those things become very important. And it is, it just makes you more aware. And that kind of brings us back to the sustainable aspect as well. Yes, for sure. So you can have the house either then connected to the grid or you can have it off grid. So would that be kind of in the planning phase where you guys are building the house so it will kind of be designed differently then? Or is it easy if someone wanted a house that can be connected to the grid, but now they decided, oh, you know, one year down the line, we actually want to move a bit around. Like how easy is it for you guys to make that switch? And then how easy is it then for them to connect their houses up? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the holy tank situation is 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 something that we would really need to know. It's easier for us to install the tanks for, for, the, for that off-grid component at the time we're building it, but they are replaceable. I and mean, once they're in there, they don't, they barely weigh anything. So if you chose not to ever use them, it would, that would just be a flow through system. So everything would flow through those gray tanks. And just like you, we talked about the grid connection. And, but from a, from a solar or electrical perspective, we pre-wire the system. So we have a, what we call a solar conduit that goes in the home and allows someone to then hook up the solar on the roof at a later date. So without having to dig into the home or, or do anything major to the structure. And now our roof is designed specifically for, for the solar potential. So what you'll see in a lot of residential homes is just so many vents and that are just haphazardly placed on roofs. So even in, in residential design, the designers are not considering the potential for renewables to go on the home. So what we do is we have to obviously vent the plumbing systems in a home, just like a traditional home. So we place them at the very outer extents of the house so that we can maximize uninterrupted solar panel placement on a roof. So for a little house that's only, say, 26 feet long, we can get up to three kilowatts of power up there, which would get in close to, to powering a small home generally in a residential setting. For a little house like we have and how we define our, our appliances and making sure that they're very low consumption, the three kilowatts would easily take the house off grid. So you you can live without connecting to the grid. And then the decisions around the how off grid you are and, and so basically kind of almost net zero in terms of your living is just about where you're living and your own consumption. So we get questions a lot about uh, like how much is a solar system to put on the home. And it really, really depends on where you're living, how much solar potential that you get from that uh, that location, as well as your own consumption, like how how often you're on the TV and how many people are living there. So so those things have get factored in, but we know that the homes that we build are ready to be off grid and can be at any time. So we don't um, we don't create a burden later on in the ownership cycle to to go and do that. That sounds fantastic. Definitely something to look out for. So you guys have been building a lot of houses. What has been some of the feedback from, well, you and your wife obviously traveling and gaining all this knowledge, as well as the clients that now live in these tiny houses? What has been their feedback? Well, the one of them is just the reduction of their costs. So Lindsay, who lives in Richland, Washington, so she was our number two customer. She's been living in that home now for over 18 months. And when she first went into, uh, she, she lives in a, a really nice park in, in Richland, Washington, and she went in and prepaid for her electrical. And so she got the feedback from from the folks that were living in the park and, and basically put a large deposit down there for, 
for her, her electricity. And then she kind of kept going back over the months and was like, she wasn't using the electricity deposit up. And, and it turned out just because of the way that we, we use low uh, LED lights and now appliances again are very low capacity. So essentially she just, her on, on average, her utilities are under $50 a month. And then the other feedback is just the simplicity of the lifestyle is that you live in your home and you walk outside, it takes you five seconds and you spend more time outside. And I think that's the other thing we get with larger homes that in this evolution of the McMansion is you're actually so disconnected from the outside. It takes time for you to go from your bedroom to your kitchen to your outside. So you, you spend less time in the outside environment. But whereas a tiny house, I mean, you're, you, you're not more than like 10 feet from, from your door and, and being outside. So that's really, it is, it's just that uncoupling, it's the freedom and just really those costs come down associated with all parts of your life, utilities, materials, just you can't fill it full of things. And I think also this tiny house movement has definitely make it, made it possible for a lot of people to actually be able to own their houses now. Because previously, if you just compare to what some of the prices of houses are, you know, you'd be able to pick up like tiny house for under $100,000. And that is like everything. And it's like top notch, you know, versus if you have mm -hmm. to buy a property somewhere, you know, it, it might easily come up like two, three, four, five times even the price for a standard house. So I think it's really made the people's lives a lot easier because now instead of having a mortgage that you need to pay off in 20 years, now they're kind of free from that because they it's a lot easier to buy one of these tiny houses and then move it around. If you're not happy with where you are located, then you can just pick up and leave and you don't have to worry about selling the house and, you know, buying a new house. So it really made that like kind of nomad lifestyle just like very possible. Yeah, most definitely. And I, and when we talk about the rise in price, I mean, some of the, the pushback we get from the skeptics is that, oh, you know, a tiny house doesn't appreciate in, in value because it's, we can just go and buy another one around the same price. But I think when we look at real estate association is that a house on a block of land, the house is actually a depreciating asset. It's the land that appreciates. So really it's about, you know, apples to apples. So a house and a tiny house are the same thing. It just so happens one is tied to land that appreciates and the other one isn't. And so when you look at someone that is going to, you know, doing well, they've got a good job and they have to go and try to put their money into a house where it's dwelling. They're either renting or they're buying at these rates of four, you know, five hundred thousand dollars. So large mortgages. So they don't have the ability to place their money in other areas, the other assets, like you know, shares or starting their own company or having the freedom to make a choice around where their finances go. So having a home that say is a hundred thousand dollars, the disposable income that they've got, they have choice to do other things with go and travel, go see Europe, go see UAE, wherever it is. You you either a traveler or you you want to go into creating your startup company or you know starting a podcast, whatever it is. It's just that you don't have such a huge financial burden put into one thing, which is your home, that you know, you're still not 100% sure after all 10, 15, 20 years that you're going to be in a better state. So, I mean, there's people that have spent, you know, where we live here in Calgary, 
five hundred thousand dollars on a home, and they're like you know eighty to one hundred thousand dollars underwater since the you know our recession from the oil and gas sector. So you, you can't be certain about what you want. So you really get more choice about where you're putting your finances. Definitely, and even if you just look at the property prices, like if you just have to go and get a plot of land to put your tiny house you are able to get a really nice, you know, like a nicer area. Maybe it's like in an awesome forest somewhere in the woods with like beautiful nature. And, you know, previously you would not have been able to afford to actually build there because the building cost might have been ridiculous to build a space there. But now you can just come with your tiny home, load it and you're there. So I think it's really made a lot of options available for people. So I'm seriously looking into it. So hopefully one day we'll be swapping the apartment living for tiny living. Yes. And I think it's just going to simplify our life as well. Most definitely. The key thing is that when we talk about the tiny house movement, these are choices are being made by folks that really want to simplify their life and they have more connection to their usage and what they're buying um, in this kind of the fast life that we live in terms of our consumer behavior. So I think it's just really about looking at when we're making a decision about what you want to buy, where you want to live, is that, you know, really look at smaller space living as an alternative for for, for your kind of next move into, into a residential dwelling or the city you're looking at. So that would be something I really welcome folks reaching out to us for advice or anything that they need. So Cool. I think that was the question that I, I missed out on is what would your advice be to someone that is looking to downsize and move into a tiny home? So I think that covered it, but if you wanted to add more. It, do, it does. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. It's just about being ready to let go of of things. I mean, some of the when we're at events or trade shows that are just general trade shows, we'll we'll have someone come in as like, oh, I've got too much stuff. There's no way I can do this. And it's like that. That's the underlying thing is that we have folks ha- are tied to things that they own because whether they're that's how they feel happy about their life. And I mean, we're not saying that's a if that's what who you are, but really. These are just not tangible things. These these are things we just own to make ourselves feel good about our success and who we are. And, and But really, I think we can let go of those things and, and live much happier lives. Definitely. I've got a, a donation box that's in our house always. And if there's stuff that I haven't used in at least six weeks, I put it in there. And if I don't use it for the next six weeks and I don't feel very emotionally attached to it, then I donate that because I feel yeah. like the the more stuff I've got, the more clutter there is. So it's always better to give it to someone else that would actually use that instead of it just piling up dust and it's not getting used. So yeah, to kind of support that whole circular economy. That's pretty awesome. That's a really good idea. <laughs> and Scott, what has been one of your most important decisions that you have made around Mama Earth? Uh, we eat less meat, my wife and I. So we, we were actually vegetarians for, for a good six years. And just where we lived made it, it's probably going to sound like a cop-out, but it made it di- very difficult to be a vegetarian. Um, so we just stay conscious of our of our meat consumption and really make sure that we, we're much more plant-based. So that has just so many implications down the line from, from energy use and, and things like that. It's a very simple thing to do. And, and certainly with the amount of, 
alternative protein sources that we get. It's more of a flavor than it than it is nutrition these days because the, the you know the factory farm and the agriculture of, of mass consumption of food is is just removing some of those nutrients that we need anyway. So you know, having good fresh food is is something that's easier on us and it's easier on the environment. I feel definitely. And we are going to move into our final five. First question is: What is one social media or publication that you follow? Well, I mean, it's not so much as uh, probably less of a social media sort of thing, but I mean, the Guardian, UK Guardian, is something that I really enjoy. It's an independent uh, news media, and they cover a lot of really great components around climate change and about and having really rational discussions about climate change and politics and what's going on in our world. So. I think out of all of the news media worldwide, it has to be one of the most independent and, and very well written. Like, so when you go into an article, it goes very deeply into into discussing it. So if it's Brexit or climate change or OPEC or whoever it is, it's it's a very rich content and it's something rare that you see in the media. Again, it's we're living in a fast society; everything moves quickly, and and our phones we're flipping between things. So having still having some news media out there that you can really dig into and see. Um, without too much bias, it's a good thing. And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? Well, I mean, is it your crazy birds or Mama Earth specifically? Because I think <laughs> Mama Earth will kick us out one day, one way or the other. Uh, but I think it's obviously the, the crazy birds that we we wanting to make sure that we respect the connectivity of everything. Everything is connected in our world. That's that's kind of that's nature. We make a decision, it changes. The bees, the bees don't give us food. We don't have crops. You know, we have starving. You know, folks are starving. Um, and then we've got more. You know, the money, the food is. It costs more. Labor, everything goes up. So everything kind of cycles around it. You know, if you decide to go to Walmart to buy a fifteen dollar fan versus buying something maybe local, we're making buying decisions that are moving jobs away. So I think just understanding if we know that everything, especially in our environment, is connected then Mama Earth is going to be okay. It's going to give us back what we've taken from it and allows us to sustain, sustain our life uh, um, as human beings here. Cool. And what advice can you give our crazy birds this week to help out Mama Earth? Well, I mean, I guess it's our personal bias. My personal bias is just really about looking at the food as much as you're, the things that you're buying. So, you know, less meat, I think, is a good starting point as well as like, being conscious of what you're buying. Like, how long is this thing going to last? Where does it come from? What are the conditions under which someone is manufacturing? So knowing where things come, where does your food come from? Where do your products come from? Like, you have a lot of folks on your podcast that are, you know, have organic or, you know, materials that are that are easy on the environment. So really keeping focus on your buying decisions. Where is the origin of the thing that you're purchasing? And because those will have, you know, deep ramifications on pollution or labor. And that's really just helpful generally to everybody, I think. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet on a sustainable journey? Again, it goes down to my product design background is that um, I firsthand seen significant waste in industry. And, and it comes down to our expectation as customers that we need things that are cheaper. And so we continue to drive down the quality of the materials, the quality of the products, because folks that we buy from like Walmart or, or you know, Costco, wherever it is, 
their push is to give you a lower uh, priced product and therefore the the quality of the stuff we're getting things are breaking and then we just we're accelerating the waste that is generated into into landfill by not buying things of good quality that can last us two three four years versus two three months and scott where can people actually find you Look, one of the best places to find us is on Instagram for just what we're up to and the crazy stuff that we're working through. So uh, ZS Tiny Homes is our is our handle for Instagram, but our website is www.zerosquared.ca. So zerosquared.ca is is our formal website that'll that'll have our information about our homes and the specifications and details, price points and things like that, and contact information. But the that we try to keep our Instagram page really fun and we will have people on there talking about which tiles to collect for one home or another. And so we're just really trying to create a community there that we, we get feedback on and, and it's, it's really the fun page for us um, of, of where we're going with the company. Cool. That sounds amazing. And I will also link up the Netflix episode of Tiny House Nation. Yes, that's definitely a good watch. Yes, can watch that. That like kind of that house really converted me and I was like, wow, that's amazing. I want to live in this house. Yes. (laughs) So yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I hope our crazy birds are going to try and think about this. And who knows, maybe we're going to see more crazy birds in your tiny houses. That would be awesome. We, we welcome the conversation, certainly. Cool. Thank you so much. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at mamaearthtalk.com. Follow at Design by Mariska on Instagram or email hello at mamaearthtalk.com. And let me know if there's a topic you'd like me to talk about. I love hearing from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every Monday. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss anything. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds.